Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by eXp or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show. I realized we haven't really done any uh, state or market specific episodes yet. So I figured that we would do an episode on investing in one of the very few states where you can get both a beach and a mountain property. And that state is the great state of North Carolina. And here to help me talk about North Carolina or to talk about it, not help me. I'm not the one who knows. I have four total pro experts in the North Carolina market. So uh, we'll start with Meg. Meg, do you want to introduce yourself really quick? Hi there, everybody. Um, I'm on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, lived here for about 12 years, beautiful beaches, very family friendly. Um, I'm raising my child here, but it's it's a really great draw. You've got a lot of interesting things for, for folks to do here. And uh, you guys have, this is just fresh on my mind because we took the kids to Monster Jam last year. You have the headquarters for Gravedigger right we there. We do. Yeah, <laughs> yes, we do. And, uh, yeah, dog uh... and all of the mud. <laughs> yes. Oh, you have the dog one too? It's no, just the, the oh. bog, the muddy bog thing. It's, oh. it's very, very loud. <laughs> oh, you need to, if you have littles, you need to have your headphones. Yes, we, we, my son really didn't want to do it. And then he was like, okay, I get it now <laughs> when they came out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, next, let's switch to a mountain market. Garrett, introduce yourself real quick. Yeah, Garrett Simmons. I'm up in the northwest corner of North Carolina. The high country uh, is a common name for it. The Boone, Banner Elk, Blowing Rock, home of Appalachian State, uh, where I am an alumni of. So yeah, the northwest corner of the state. Um, get some snow. So it's, a, it's a pretty big popular destination in the wintertime for a skiing and snowboarding destination as well as the summertime when there is no humidity and uh, the same people vacation in the beach come up to the mountains. So um, happy to be here. All right, next we'll move down to the Southern part of the mountains in North Carolina. Jay, you introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Jay. I'm down here in Western North Carolina, the gateway to the Smokies to Tennessee, because we're only about 30 minutes from the border to Tennessee here, you know, right down the road from Garrett few hours um great seasonality here great place in the mountains uh, there's just plenty to do year-round here and it's a great place to invest in 
Okay. And you guys can't see this. Well, I mean, you can, if you're watching this on YouTube, but Joe's doing random, um, like moves <laughs> while everybody else is talking, like encouraging moves. Uh, Joe, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Saving the best for last the rest of the North Carolina coast. Sorry guys, but, uh, North Carolina coast is awesome down here. I'm everything that's not the Outer Banks. Um, my name's Joe Prilliman. And uh, yeah, another great beach market and absolutely loving it down here. Yeah, and you may, it, you OG listeners of the show may recognize Joe from one of the first five episodes that we did. He's done, he had at the time done one of the coolest. Now he's done two of the coolest short-term rental deals that I've seen, but we can get to that in just a minute. Uh, all right, guys. So I think the first thing that I want to talk about when it comes to investing anywhere in North Carolina is y'all's due diligence fee. It works a little bit differently than other states. So who wants to tackle that first? I can go ahead and do it. Um, up here in North Carolina, you as a buyer can cancel your contract for any or no reason. You can wake up in the morning and have bad hair and be like, I don't want to buy that house. And you can cancel your contract. As long as you do that during the due diligence period, your earnest money is still safe. Um, it is a negotiable amount of time. Uh, I typically do a 20-day due diligence and a 10-day close for 30-day closing, but it is different in other markets up here. Um, you do pay the seller a fee at the beginning, you know, and that's a negotiable fee as well. You don't have to offer any due diligence money, but that's not going to make a strong offer up here. People kind of expect to have that convenience fee to take their property off the market and allow you reasonable access to the property to do your inspections. So that's, it's a fee that is not refundable. And if you do cancel your contract, so that's the kind of back out there. But if you do complete the purchase of the property, whatever you paid them in due diligence and the earnest money both go towards the purchase price of the house. So as long as you complete contract, it's, it's fine. If anybody else wants to add to that. Yeah, I do. Here um, on the Outer Banks, especially when the the market was so competitive and we had all these multi-offers, I kind of would describe it as more of like a pay-to-play. Um, you're paying the seller to accept your offer and you're going to base your amount because, it, again, as Jay, uh, Jay said, it's it's totally negotiable. It's subjective. Um, you're, you as a buyer, you're going to define what you want the amount to be. Obviously, the more your higher your fee that you pay, the more likely the seller is going to accept your offer. It's going to show your level of confidence that you're going to get to closing because you don't get it back. It is non-refundable. Um, but it's your pay to play. I also describe it like as a bribery. If you are in there under an off a multi-offer situation um, and your fee is significantly higher than the other buyers, you know, they're going to take yours over theirs because they, they might miss out four weeks of having their property in the market, but they're going to get to keep that cash in their pocket no matter what. It's also strategy based too. like on an older house, like it's case by case with us up here. Like if if the house is built in the 30s, I'm not going to recommend like a huge due diligence if there's not multiple offers. If it's been on the market like 60 days, you know, there's no reason to like try and really because you really don't know until you get into the property. Because if you end up canceling your contract because the foundation's falling in, unfortunately, you do not get your due diligence money back. So it's kind of case by case, too. Yeah, and I would also add that you know one of the biggest one of the big objections um, to due diligence for a buyer is okay. Well, is the seller just gonna? If I'm gonna get an inspection. Is the seller just gonna tell me to kick rocks if there are some things that need to get taken care of? Um, and the answer to that is 
yes, that's the that's the potential. But realistically, at least in my area, it, it typically doesn't always happen. And one of the biggest things is that houses don't come back on the market like they do in other states. And so when you see under contract active, everyone knows that somebody lost money. And so there's probably something wrong with the house. And so because of that, um, sellers know they're not going to get as much money the second go around if they fell through typically on a contract. So if there's repairs and the seller's being unreasonable, typically they're going to want to be reasonable because if I'm buying Jay's house for 500,000 bucks and it needs $10,000 in repairs, if they're not going to give me that 10,000, it might terminate. And now they're only going to get 480 for it. So they're better off just give, you know, negotiating with some capacity. Now that all, that all changes if you have a multiple offer situation or depending on the situation and all depends on the demand. But um, that's one of the biggest objections I get. Well, okay, if I put down 10 grand due diligence, they're not going to give me any repairs because they can just keep my money, um, which in some cases can be if they have a backup offer that's cash or they already have 13 offers. You know, That's something to think about initially. Hey, we're probably not going to get much from the sellers, but I would say some of the bigger issues, if there is a foundation issue or roof issue, something that they're going to have to disclose to any of the next buyers that could significantly knock off the purchase price, they're not going to want to go on and move to another another buyer. Um, if it's over five, you know, I know five to ten thousand bucks is a ton of money, but as far as due diligence deposits of having to go and work with another buyer or thinking that they're going to get. 30,000, 40,000 less for the house if they put it back on the market um, is is something to think about. So I always encourage people, yes, it's no guarantee, um, but there are, there are incentives for sellers to still negotiate with you during a during a due diligence period. Get with your agent and uh, you know come up with a strategy. It's really, a, at the end of the day, a, a good strategy point when you're putting in an offer. So, Right. So it's your non-refundable due diligence money will be more if the property already has multiple offers. It'll probably be more if the property is new on the market, probably be less if it's been sitting on the market for six months and has no offers, right? 100% all day long. (laughs) And it's another reason we don't have escalation clauses because some people care about the due diligence more. You know, if I'm selling a house for 250,000 bucks and I list it for 250 and Joe comes to me the first day and say, hey, I'll pay you 250 for it and I'll give you 50 grand in due diligence. I know that 50 grand is coming in my pocket and Joe's buying that house because he doesn't want to walk away for 50 grand. Well, the next person may come along and say, hey, I'll give you 260 for it and I'll give you two grand, 2,000 in due diligence. Well, am I going to make more money if Megan ends up buying the house? Sure. But what if it doesn't appraise? What if she backs? I know that she can back, a lot, she can back away and she could walk away and only lose 2,000 bucks. And then I go back to Joe and he, at that point, he might have already bought another house. He doesn't want to pay me 250. There's a lot of sellers that will take the more due diligence money and less purchase price. Um, which again is another reason we, we, we don't do escalation clauses because there's not just necessarily one variable that makes a, a good offer. Yeah. And B, we can't do, we can't write escalation clauses anyway. So, mm-hmm. yep. Well, I did not know that. So I've already learned something. It has to be drafted uh, by an attorney up here. Oh, really? Yep. I did not know that. The North Carolina real estate commission frowns on them because for you to do the escalation clause, the list agent has to reveal what the other buyer and you can't, you're not allowed to talk about what the terms or, or prices were on, on former deals. So um, unless they get permission from that buyer that they can reveal it, but they're essentially giving too much information and it's, that's supposed no to be. No buyer would agree to that up here. Exactly. I can see how, I mean, that is logical. So it's more of a psychology game and getting in the head of the listing agent and the <laughs> seller up here engaging what you can get away, you know, how to get that 
Chris Vossum a little bit. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about properties and purchase prices in this market. So obviously it's, or we're not in this market, we're in four markets in this state. So let's talk about maybe like what an average purchase price of a property looks like. And um, we can't really talk about what an average property will make because that's just way too subjective. You'd have to be looking, you know, case by case basis in, in terms of what each property has amenity wise and how updated it is. But I want to just get kind of like an idea of what the purchase prices are in these areas. So whoever wants to go first. I'll take it and run with it. So uh, down here, um, everything that's not the Outer Banks. Well, it's really say like where you are, Joe. You're so I'm covering the Carolina Beach market. And so that's everything that we're counting as everything that's not the Outer Banks. So everything from Atlantic Beach all the way down to Ocean Isle. And we've got kind of an array of different stuff because we're covering like 11 small beach towns. But in general, you can get everything from condos to single family homes. And condos are typically going to run somewhere between that $350,000 price point range all the way up to about 600. Single family homes are going to start somewhere in that like $500,000 range for a small cottage all the way up to massive oceanfront, like 2 million type price point range. And so um, the really cool part is though, that second row beach houses, those three, four bedroom ones, they're still kind of falling in that like 750 to about $950,000 price point range, which is really why I found a really good sweet spot for short-term rentals. All right. So 750 for second row 750 to 900 for second row in Carolina Beach. I'd say around there um, across all of those ones. But Carolina Beach specifically is a little bit higher price point, mainly because of our proximity to Wilmington. So we have so many people there that you're now competing with primary residence home buyers and Mm -hmm. you're competing with vacation like investors across the board. Gotcha. All right. Who wants to go next? Oh, I'll go. Uh, Western North Carolina. Um, usually I, I'd say about from Asheville to Bryson City. That's kind of where I operate at. Um, it's a little bit hard to, to like put a price tag on some stuff because you got to take into consideration up here, the average lot size is about an acre. So you could technically have the same house. It's just one's on 10 acres and one's not. So you do have to take the acreage into account up here. But in Haywood County, that's where I live. Um, it's about 350 to 400 for a three three bedroom and they're mostly single family homes um there's not a whole lot of uh, condos and townhouses though i was looking at some townhouses today that were great that were like 250 so you can find condos and in townhomes in that 250 to 350 range in western north carolina depending on where you go but like i said there's just not a whole lot of them here it's mostly single family uh stick built homes on the side of a mountain or you know down in the valley but um you know i know candler just recently they, they were they were popped up in, on a study you know and the average purchase price there was 400,000 so um that it looks like it is a pretty up and coming i call that diet asheville because it's right outside of asheville and um you know it's kind of a smaller asheville but yeah that's kind of where we're at up here it's hard to really with the acreage but uh all right that's really affordable yeah no it's great prices up here great prices um, I'm Meg from the Outer Banks. Um, our market's similar in pricing to what Joe was talking about. Very similar, actually. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on the township. You know, we, 
I usually kind of encourage people to look from Kerala down to Nags Head. That's kind of where there's the most concentration of properties, probably have a little bit more turnover, more occupancy in those locations. But I actually cover all the way down to Ocracoke. Um, so there's 120 miles of, of coastline. And Joe, I can't remember. I don't I don't remember how many miles you have. I know I know it's probably a whole lot more than that. Um, but again, so much here is is based on even the, just the townships themselves. There's such a range in properties because, you know, it's been generations of families that have been coming to the beach. And so you've got houses that were built in the 60s. Um, some in the 50s, and then you've got, you know, new construction still happening here. Um, our land is is diminishing quickly. Um, but so I would say pricing is very similar to Joe's. And, you know, a lot of it's just kind of dependent on which township you choose and um, how far away you are from the from the water. That's pretty still pretty affordable for beach property. Mm-hmm. All right, Garrett. Um, yeah, no, I, again, being up in the high country uh, of North Carolina, I would say Pricing is going to be a little bit different than maybe Jay down in Western North Carolina. Uh, the university is a huge attraction uh, up here. There's over 20,000 undergrad there. And so kind of similar to Wilmington, um, you have a lot of people that um, have primary residence up here. You have a lot of people that have second, true second homes up here. Um, the proximity and what town you're in is going to play a huge role in price. I would say Blowing Rock, is, for instance, is going to have your highest um, price per square foot overall in sales price. Um, the lowest entry point is going to be a condo uh, out towards the uh, Avery County side of things. So as far as um, entry level starting point, you could get in from as low as 160 k if you're buying a 400 square foot um, studio or essentially a hotel room all the way up to um, a $450,000 condo being um, the best, nicest condo. Um, and then as far as homes go, I would say if you're not going to buy a shack or a teardown, you're going to spend at least 300 or 350 on something that's going to be under a thousand square feet. Um, but again, depending on where you are, depending on how your view is, the view is kind of like our ocean um, being, you know, the oceanfront properties and uh, the, the views that you can see four States, you can pay $3 million for a 2,200 square foot house in the right neighborhood and the right um, finishes and custom finishes up here. So um, I would say, yeah, you can spend as much money as you want, but uh, from an entry level to a single family home is around three three fifty for the smallest thing, and, and anywhere from one fifty to three hundred for for the condos. And condos do work well in your market, Garrett, right? They do. Yeah, there's not a lot of hotels. There's really, there's one best one one story best western in in Avery County, and so. Uh, condos really do function as a nice hotel alternative to people that are coming up uh, in couples. It's not even always about the money. It's just about the practicality of not needing the whole house and needing space if you're, you know, traveling one to three people, sometimes even four. Um, so yeah, they they function really well and, and it can do well up here. Hey guys, hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the short term show. We are loving it. We are loving interviewing all these guests for you guys, and we hope you're getting a lot of value out of it. And we just, we really love you guys. We love you so much that we have created a community just for you. We have a Facebook group specifically for short term rental investors, and there are tons of great posts every day, sharing best practices, learning new things from other short-term rental investors. And we would love to see you over there. The name of the group is the same name as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Head over and join the conversation. We look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, guys.
Hopefully you guys are finding all of these short-term show episodes to be really helpful. We certainly hope that you are, but maybe you have more questions and you just want to be able to ask an expert a certain question here and there. Well, we have at the short-term shop open office hours on Zoom every Thursday and you can sign up for free. So if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up to hop on and we will answer any questions that you have on short-term rental investing. Again, it's every Thursday and you can sign up at strquestions.com. So in all four of these markets, where are most of the tourists coming from? Are these all North Carolinians? And if so, can you educate us like on the major cities in North Carolina or really just the major cities period that most of the tourism is coming from yeah yeah no i think oh no you know yeah, i think um i would say that most the most of the people on this podcast our markets the people are coming from the same area and it's typically the race the rest of north carolina um and raleigh the Ra- raleigh the triangle area uh, is as most people know has been skyrocketing i grew up in raleigh it's been crazy for the last two decades so that's not something that's anything new uh, and it's continuing to grow. Uh, so I think you have a lot of people. I know I used to vacation down to the beach and up to the mountains uh, growing up in Raleigh. So you have that RDU, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, kind of RTP area. You have the Triad, Greensboro, and Winston-Salem, a little bit farther west, closer to the mountains, farther from the beach that you get a lot of people to come up from. And then, of course, you have Charlotte uh, and Charlotte Metro down below. So I think those are the three kind of North Carolina um hubs that get a lot of people especially for weekends they can, they can hop in their car and be you know less than three hours maybe a little bit longer for meg but um the rest of the area is you know an hour and a half two hours three hours and, and you're in the mountains and you feel like you're in a completely different spot uh, or you're at the beach um you know i can you can even get to the mountains from the mountains to the beach depending on where you're going in five hours five and a half hours so um sure if there's a little bit you have some snowbirds that come up in the summertime at least up here there's people that um spend the summers up here you have my area sees a little bit of a cast a wider net in the winter time because we have the ski slopes so we might get people from knoxville or nashville that would always go to the smokies in the summer but in the winter they don't want to hop on an airplane they might come up um but yeah interested to hear everyone else's response but i would say there's a lot of people i have a lot of people that and a lot of clients that live in north carolina just because it is such a pretty place to go and they kind of will parlay their rental property with a second home and spend a lot of time there personally because they are, you know, an hour or two hours away. I agree with everything he said on that, but um, in the Western North Carolina region, especially though we, we border like three different States. We're so close to Tennessee. We're so close to Georgia and South Carolina. So we get a lot of drive-in traffic from there as well as people that live in the entire state. We also are a very popular retirement destination for people in florida so a lot of our tourism comes from florida and it's it's only an eight-hour drive from orlando to get here yeah floridians love north carolina love love north carolina (laughs) i I, I was born and raised in florida and i love north carolina so here i am but um, you know we only have that one airport the Asheville airport it's small it's it's a little bit more expensive but you know our the international airports that are close to Western North Carolina are about three hours away. So you got Atlanta, Charlotte, or um, uh, Knoxville is the closest for those. But, you know, most of the time we don't need it because we have everybody's driving in. So um, I know I came up here from Florida as a kid visiting grandma who retired up here from Florida. So uh, lots of Florida. I don't know. Do they go up to high country a lot, Garrett? Do you see a lot of people from Florida? 
Yeah, yeah, a ton of people up here. I mean, there's a lot of people that spend the summers up here and live up here. Um, like celebrities have second homes up here. So, you, you know, I, I caddied at a really nice country club in college that they literally spend six months of the year up here and then come out. So it's not as many. I would say there's a lot less people from Florida and with short-term rentals or, or using a short-term rental. It's people that have second homes that will spend the half the year up here and split down. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the people that own second homes here from Florida will short term rent them, but they're not in it to win it, so they're just floating a mortgage at that point. So they're not very competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, Jay. Here, um, we get people from everywhere, like Quebec, Florida, Georgia, Colorado, Ohio. I don't know. We there are so many Ohio plates here in the summertime. It's crazy. I don't. I don't know why they love our beach, but they do. All tourists um, are from Ohio. I think it's they really I, are. I was going to ask you that, Meg. We get a bunch of Ohio people down I mean, here too. It's crazy. Well, I know it. It's crazy, but I, I don't mean, see them down here. The the beautiful, you know, places like up in New England. We get a lot of people from New England as well. Um, and but Colorado, um, Ohio. Uh, but yeah, that Quebec, I always get tickled when I, when I see Quebec plates, yeah, that's quite a haul. <laughs> we we yeah, have a lot of people parents. from India. Oh, wow. Yeah. We don't get a lot of that. We had, yeah, we don't have a lot of that, but I, my, I, Meg, I remember my parents honeymooned at the Outer Banks and they had to get to like, they stayed in Axhead and there was part, they had to be on a, they had to use four wheel drive to get to where they were going. This was in 1980, whatever. Um, so I, I think it was other. Yeah, I definitely know there's my, there one example. They lived in the Northeast at times. So there's definitely, I took it for granted being in North Carolina, but the Outer Banks is definitely, you definitely probably see a, a wider net of people. Um, I, I, th- I thought about this and I wanted to mention it before I, I lost track of it, but, um, and it might be a good transition of, um, that is huge. I know it's down at the beach, it's down the mountains of having people that have second homes up here that maybe rent it for in the, maybe rented it in the winter time or, give it to a property manager to help offset their costs. But their main number one goal is not uh, to be an investor or a short-term rental investor or make money. Um, so it's something to think about if you're buying it here. Um, primarily when you're looking at numbers or you're looking at someone's rental revenue, I mean, you might there might be a house that will sell for a million dollars up here and their rental revenue that they're showing is 20,000 20, gross, which obviously any anyone knows that back of the napkin numbers, that's not going to make you any money. But um, it really is someone from Florida that spends seven months of the year up here and they give it to a property management company, set a certain price, say, don't change the prices. They are not you and I, they are not short-term rental investors. They're just like offset the mortgage a little bit because when I am in the winter, I'm not setting foot. I hate the snow. I'm going to be in Florida. I'm not, I'm, I would otherwise winterize my house. Um, you have people at the beach I know that will winterize their house in the wintertime and not even come down. Um and so that's just something to think about. I know it probably changes per market, but I know up here it's really popular. Um, and it's something to think about when you're looking at numbers or you're analyzing things or you're looking at a market as a whole. There's a chance that uh, unlike some other areas of the country, being a, a short-term rental, short-term investors are not the predominant property owners in uh, in a lot of parts of North Carolina because there's a lot of people in North Carolina and around that actually want to spend a lot of time there personally. That's that is a really point good point. Here. It yeah. really is. I get a, you know, there's a, so many times I've been given like rental figures that just, I'm like, oh, well, okay. I can tell that you're just kind of 
this is your second home. Like I, I encourage you not to like rely heavily on somebody's rental data that they had, you know, especially if it looks bad. Cause there's, it's probably like what Garrett said, there's, you know, just the property manager, they haven't changed their prices. So, you know, but you know, that's what you get with us for. We can look at that property like, yeah, that would do a lot better than, that, than what, what they reported. So the history, I think that sometimes it is important for them to share that, though, so that they can see the weeks that it was occupied, not necessarily the rate, because the rate, everybody's going to do better you know, than, than what a lot of the rates are. Um, you know, our investors are people that know what they're doing. Their places are going to be nicer. You know, if you're managing it well, um, you're taking care of your property, you're loving it. Um, but yes, I would I would agree with everything that Garrett and and Jay just said. Um, that that less look less at the numbers and more. And often I don't know about other markets, but it'll say like this. It'll show a week and it'll say you know that had been owner occupied. There's going to be a zero there. Where if you're only looking at the number on the bottom of that spreadsheet and you're not looking at the weeks that were occupied, I mean that's a lot of revenue that didn't get added in. So do look do look at the dates of occupancy as well. And don't let it discourage you. Yeah, we'll we'll come up with a plan. And I think that's probably the case or is the case <clears throat> in a lot of markets where people really like to have maybe even like, so with you guys, since there's a lot of major cities and that are within just a few hours drive of having a nice mountain vacation home or having a nice beach house, those are going to get used and well bought for vacation homeowners more so than, you know, uh, than markets where there's not a lot of really drivable Tourism. So, like for example, down here uh, in like the 38 area, we have a lot of people who just buy these crazy luxury homes that they don't really care that they just spent 10, 20 million dollars on a house. Uh, and they'll just throw it with a property manager when they're not using it, just so it kind of offsets its cost. So I think that that's really important to note when you're looking at rental history is how are they managing it and why? Um, because a lot of times especially on a big expensive house they're not usually the purpose that they bought it for was not usually cash flow uh and same thing with when you live in really close proximity to being able to have a vacation home so if you live in like Nebraska where Luke's from you're probably not buying a vacation home because it's so hard to get to anywhere worth vacationing <laughs> but if you're in the middle of North Carolina and you have all these great places that you can get to within just a couple hours you might be more more apt to buy something because it's easy to get to Right. I, I agree. I also think within the markets, like within my market, within Joe's, within Meg's, there are certain areas that just like any other asset class in real estate where there could actually cash flow less, but you're going to see a lot more appreciation long term. You know, you buy in Blowing Rock, you're going to pay a lot more for the property and you might cash flow a lot less for it. Um, but there's other benefits of owning it because it's, you know, I know, you know, without getting in the weeds in Joe's market, but Wrightsville Beach might be the nicest kind of part of Joe's market, but it's not going to be the most cash flowing part of town. But you could maybe argue that it could appreciate more than other areas. So I think that within all of our markets, there's some areas that favor a lot of the people buying the second homes, visiting that um, could have its own benefits. But from a pure cash flow perspective, um, you know, you have some trade offs, just like if you're buying a long term rental in Nashville versus you know, Topeka, Kansas, your cash flow might be better in Topeka, but your house isn't going to be worth that much more in 10 years in Topeka, Kansas than it is in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So, and that applies in, at least in my area too. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so what are some other pros of investing in each of your different markets in North Carolina? 
So one of my favorite things about investing down here is that North Carolina is just such an awesome place in general. We have so many people that are moving to North Carolina that it's just really driving our market really well. And so it's been one of the top places I've seen for a long time of like, we've talked about it earlier, but people moving to Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, all those locations that are really feeding these markets. And so it is really just pushed us to a kind of the next level of a investment location, in my opinion. So you really want to buy in areas where there's large population trends coming. And we're really seeing that across the entire state. And specifically, I love how the beach markets in particular, they can kind of play into that appreciation and cash flow move, where if you can get one that's still cash flowing, you've got only so much beach property left. And so that's what I love about buying really on the North Carolina coast in general is it kind of plays a double whammy of you're getting your investment from appreciation and from cash flow. And so that's one of my big ones in this market down here in the Carolina Beach area. Yeah, in the Western North Carolina side, corner, wherever, <laughs> um, we have the luxury of, <laughs> of being like our entire market, I-40 and I-74 runs through the entire thing. So getting anywhere is quick. I mean, you can even jump on I-40 from Haywood County, which is Waynesville, Maggie Valley, and you know, Pigeon Forge is only an hour and a half away. So, I mean, that's a, not an unreasonable amount of time that they trip to like Dollywood or something. Um, you know, that and, you know, just the, the ease of access is great when, because it gives you a little bit more options to choose. I always have a 20 minute rule, you know, if you're 20 minutes from the amenities, you know, but having that that quick, that fast lane between amenities, you know, you have so many options of day trips and, and, um, you know, being the gateway of the Smokies, everything, you know, you have, you're not so far away from Pigeon Forge where you can go there and day trip and then come back, you know, on, it's less crowded on this side, you know, it's, you know, I haven't been the, that side, but I, I know I've been downtown to like Anakista and Dollywood and it's packed down there. So, um, you know, it's just real quiet over here and um, just tons of things to do, like just a whole handful of things. And that's summer and winter activities. So. And hey, a uh, little softball that I missed, but applies to the whole state. We have really low taxes here, guys. It's really yeah, awesome. Yeah, we do. It's, like, <laughs> it's incredible. About 0.6% here. Yeah. It's great until you talk to, until you compare it to Tennessee and then we look like we feel like we're New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's... <laughs> There's plenty of other areas that that have much higher ones like Florida, for example. So, you know, Florida's awesome, but the the taxes are going to be higher than they are in North Carolina. For Our occupancy taxes aren't bad up here either. I don't know about the rest of the state, but uh, in Western North Carolina, about 4% is what the occupancy tax is here. I have a question. Would you consider these markets to be more blue chip or more emerging in terms of the total amount of sophisticated managers in these markets. And by sophisticated, I mean, like the people who would be listening to this podcast, the people who are going to be using price dynamic pricing tools, uh, property management software, like having really nice guidebooks and good pictures and like really, really optimizing their management um, or more emerging in terms of mostly like archaic property management companies. And there's not a lot of people who have come in and really optimized yet. I know in the Western North Carolina region, um, I'd say about 60% of people who own short-term rentals up here use a property manager. Um, you know, being relatively new to the short-term shop as well, 
I don't see a lot of like just hardcore short-term rental owners up here. I mean, you know, th- there's people that use the property managers, they're doing okay. They're paying their, you know, they're making a little bit of money and they're cool with that. So, th- I mean, there's a lot of room up here for, you know, just someone to, that wants to be a go-getter and get in here. What about the rest of y'all? There's a, on the Outer Banks, there's the property management companies. That's a really big industry here. I mean, we only have 37,000 primary residents um, in the in Dare County. Um, Corolla is actually up in Currituck County, so I'm not including them. Um, but it is a really, I mean, we're, we are based on tourism revenue. I mean, that's, that's how we, how we survive here. And so the property management industry, it's, it's a really big deal. So you're, there are much fewer, um, self-managed, um, homes here. Um, but I, I do believe that it is growing. Yeah. I'd say the sophistication side here, sorry, Garrett, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll with it, but, um, the sophistication side is definitely on the lower end. So whenever you're stepping into like, it's cute, clean, comfortable. You're adding all these additional amenities that other people just don't have. You can really set yourself apart still here. Um, I don't want to say that it's like um, lower end, but for example, like there's only a few of my markets where if you don't have a pool that you're not going to do like super well, like most of our properties around here just don't have that yet in some of these smaller beach towns. Now there's other ones where that's becoming a really big trend. And so there are certain things that you can set yourself apart with just from stepping in and taking some of these uh, the lessons that we teach all the time to kind of elevate yourself to that next level. And you can try to get on that first page and really be a top performer. But um, Garrett, I'm finding the same thing in the properties I've got up in your market too. Just uh, setting yourself apart does a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean, with similar to Meg, I mean, with the two counties up here, the entire counties, there's 70,000 full-time people. And a lot of that is college kids during the school year. So um, historically, it has been property management companies and some local ones, uh, at least up here, I've seen, and I know Luke mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, uh, on our on a call is um, a lot of smaller property management companies, kind of cool, you know, people that would be listening to this call that are starting management companies, co-host, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think that's become, I've, I've seen that become a little bit more popular up here. And so, um, which again, is just, so yeah, I think it's slowly shifting. I think the, the people are, um, oops. I kind of view it as network. I kind of view it as like network television and network cable. Like, sure, there's still going to be the popular thing, but people are now like, okay, this YouTube TV thing, the more I can realize it might actually be better than paying for cable. You know, it's still going to be. And so uh, I think that's slowly, that's kind of the news. People are like, okay, yeah, Blue Ridge Rent, will you, will you name it or whatever the rental company isn't the best way to do it, but I'm going to use this new, you know, this new young hip property management company. So I still don't think they'll ever go away, um, but um, it's changing a little bit up here as well. That's a really good analogy, like because people are always going to use cable and it'll be fine, but there might be a little bit better way to do it. I'm going to use that. I'm going to rip that off for the future podcasts. <laughs> yeah, get the TikTok camera out. Cut that. <laughs> Um, what else? So what are some other, other good reasons to invest in North Carolina or let's maybe switch gears a little bit. What are some things to watch out for when you're buying in your markets in North Carolina that maybe, maybe due diligence things, maybe, I don't know, what have you, you guys tell me. Uh, on this side, you know, cause we are up in the mountains, high up in the mountains um, you, on an older home, you really got to look out for. And, and this is like what I was talking about case by case on due diligence, like back in like, if you find a house that's like built in the thirties, 
understand that the technology that they used back then for foundation is not going to be the same standards as today. Um, that that being said, you might that you might want to offer a little bit lower due diligence because if there's a foundation issue and it does happen, I've heard lots of shifting, lots of lots of moving, lots of cracking. Um, some cracks are you know not big, but like you know, foundation. You don't want your house. You buy an investment and it falls off the side of a mountain. You know, after ten years, so that is definitely something you want to look out for. We do have about seventy percent of people up here on well and septic. Um, those are definitely. You know, on an older home, again, you might you, you really need to get those inspected because um, that could cause a world of issues if they're if they're bad. Um, the other one for me, and it's probably a little bit similar for Garrett, maybe not Meg or Joe, but uh, like roads, like a lot of people that come up here are from Florida. So if you have a place on the top of the mountain that's 45 degrees going up on a dirt road that you need a four wheel drive for, you know, most of those people aren't going to be able to make it up here. They don't have four wheel drive. So um, I always like to check the road going up to a place before, you know, you commit to it and just giving you my opinion on, on what that, that looks like up there. So that's some things to look out for in Western North Carolina. I, I would say like, you know, and I'll tell a quick story. I I, uh, I remember my first short-term rental. It was a condo. I was caddying professionally, so I was basically a traveling circus nomad. And if I had, and it was my primary residence for the two or three weeks out of the year that I wasn't on the road. Um, and it was a tiny four hundred square foot studio in Sugar Mountain that I paid forty two thousand five hundred dollars for, um, which is a lot less than people are buying cars for these days. Put twenty thousand into it. I was in around sixty-two thousand bucks, and I was just like, "It's going to be my house." When I live there in the off season, I'll rent it. This is back in beginning of twenty eighteen. I remember listening to Avery's podcast on Bigger Pockets, and I was like, "Oh man, I use IGMS too." You know, all of like we're all going to just trying to figure it out on my own. I was like, "Okay, cool, yeah, this is how you find a cleaner." I just kind of got a little bit lucky. I got lucky, like a lot of people did. Um, and you know, circling back. I sold that condo hindsight's 2020. I sold the condo in March of 2020 when the pandemic for the two weeks that people were like, is this, is the bottom, is the market going to fall off? Whatever it is, it's too late to sell. I sold it for 90,000 bucks for two years later. This is like before the market even really took off. So like we were already seeing appreciation in North Carolina and I was like, it's too late to sell. Well, I sold there, there's like, you know, that condo that I have sold, I sold in 2020 has now been sold two other times. And I think the latest time it sold for like 235. So like, as far as appreciation, I know it's crazy everywhere. Condos aren't supposed to appreciate whatever we've seen, at least in my area, just exponential appreciation, not just since COVID, but even prior to that in the last decade, because people are flocking to North Carolina, people are flocking. To, and, and, and because the same people that live in California that would vacation to Tahoe, now live in Raleigh. And instead of driving to Tahoe, they drive to the Outer Banks. They drive down the Ash out to Asheville. They drive down to, you know, Wrightsville Beach or Carolina Beach. And they drive up to the high country. And so I think that um as the as as North Carolina, you, you know, buying in any one of our markets, you're kind of investing in the whole state. And as long as the rest of the state, I know we have some people from other states that vacation, but as long as Raleigh and Charlotte and these triad areas are continually to exponentially grow. Um, our appreciation and prices is going to be uh, really good, and it's not something that any everybody always talks about when, in short term rentals as far as their their home appreciations in, in the long term. 
Can I touch on one thing that I think it's important because um, I get a lot of questions. In fact, I remember that you received a lot of questions about beach erosion here. Um, there was a period that some videos had gone viral of houses falling into the ocean. Um, and so there there a lot of the houses, not a lot. And let me take I want to completely take that word back. There were properties uh, back in the day that were built um, without the proper setbacks. Um, so I just kind of want to real quickly while we have visitors listening or uh, folks listening, guests listening to just kind of explain um, that is not an everyday occurrence. Um, a lot of these houses were not built to the standards that they're supposed to be with the proper setbacks. So when you are looking at listings, you want to have a 50 foot set back from the high tide water line if you're there on the ocean um, or 25 feet set back from the first line of vegetation. Um, if you're looking at properties, you're like, oh, it's beautiful. The waves are lapping up against the pilings like you're too close. You have to get back. You're not going to have any beach to hang out on at all. Um, so just be aware when you're looking at pictures, if it looks like it's on top of the water, it's it's going to be too close. So just one one thing for people to be aware of uh, when they're when they're looking. Yeah, really good point. You don't want to buy something because if it's in the water now, it might really be in the water later. I think yeah. if I had a choice of falling off something, it'd probably be into the ocean and not a mountain. <laughs> it's an excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, don't buy a slab um, on oceanfront if uh, it's in a really bad flood zone. That's a big one. I'd say don't do that. Your flood insurance is going to be horrific, but any like hurricane that we have come through, is just going to completely flood that thing out. And so just know like the type of property you're buying. Like I prefer stuff that's on pilings. It's got good elevation certificates, um, things like that, just to make sure that long-term you're not going to have an issue that um, getting water inside a house is no fun across the board. Yeah. So you really need a, that was a great segue into my, the next thing I was going to say, um, you really need a, an agent, a local agent who has a lot of experience selling these and knows what they're doing, knows these things to look for and to avoid. And guys, if you want to buy in any of these four markets uh, with any of these four expert agents, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we'll get you connected with any of these guys or all of them if you want to look in all of their markets. And uh, guys, do you guys have any too many guys? I'm trying to watch my y'alls and it's making me go oh. too hard on the guys. So <laughs> do y'all have... It's perfect for this market area. That's North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Give, us, give us the y'alls. We, we have a way up yonder road here. So, <laughs> uh, well, do y'all have anything else to add before we sign off? Um, you forgot the most important thing. When you buy in my market, I take you out axe throwing afterwards to celebrate. So, boom. <laughs> that's next level. It's incredible. That's next level. I'll take y'all too if you ever come visit. Okay, that's sick. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. And uh, we will catch y'all sometime soon. Guys, uh, we've got a, a new set of, of podcasts coming where if you want to learn more about these individual markets, we have 10 episodes on each market coming. And you'll have to go to the shorttermshop.com or follow us at the short term shop on Instagram to get access to those when they come out if you would like to hear a deep dive. So uh, thanks, guys. We'll catch you later.